You're listening to a special edition of the Comics Pals. This is another one of our movie reviews. This time we are here to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. What's up, Web Slingers? Tobey Maguire's back. Yes, let's do this. <laughs> I wish he was. No, no, this is this is Far From Home. <laughs> oh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is technically Spider-Man 2, number 3. It's true. Yes. It's 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 Spider-Man Volume Three Number Two. Yeah. Yes. the The Spider-Man movie canon is getting about as complicated as an actual yeah, comic book. Dude, well. they could do an actual Spider-Verse, but with the movie Spider-Man. So, if you are unfamiliar with our show, welcome. This is normally a podcast where we talk about comics and movies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, We review books, we talk about the news, all that kind of jazz. And then, of course, when a movie comes out, we do these specials um, so that you guys can hear our thoughts on the movies in an extended way. So that's what this is going to be. And we're going to start the way we always do. I have in front of me the Rotten Tomatoes score. For Spider-Man Far From Home, I've got the tomato meter and I've got the audience score. And what Phil and Pete are going to do is they're responsible with guessing the tomato meter and the audience score. And whoever's closer, without going over, is the winner. What's the prize? Absolutely nothing. It's a no prize. So, who wants to get started? I'll hit us. I'll I'll go first. Um, I'm going to say... Now, I forget. Is it the winner is the closest to it, or is it like Price is Right rules? I don't remember. Closest without going over, yeah. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that the audience score was a nice 69%. Okay, come on. Uh, 80, 86% is the critical score, and the... Tomato the 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 audience score is gonna be like a ninety three percent. So critics eighty six, audience ninety three. Okay, Pete. Okay, I'm gonna go critics ninety and audience ninety five. Okay, um, Pete, did you already know the scores? No, no, I, you I, are, I swear to God, you I did are two percent under on both. Dude, okay, so here's the real thing I thought. Uh, I, in my head, I thought 92 and 96, but I was afraid I was going to go over and, and bust the rules. So since Phil went so low, I was like 90, 95 is like yeah, a careful spot. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I saw it was 92 it's, for yeah, critics? Yeah, 92 critics. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, That's wild. 92 critics and Fuck. 97 <laughs> audience. Wow. Damn! Oh my god, I, w- I actually would have been yeah. fine then with yeah. that Damn. Fuck. All right, cool. Whoa, Pete, Peter's Peter Tinkle was on point. It, it sure was. My tingles, dude, they're insane. <laughs> it, it ra- <laughs> they rarely are. Now, when we do these, we do these uh, with a spoiler-free section and a spoiler-filled section, so if you uh, haven't seen the movie but you want our initial impressions, you will get those. Now, Phil. Yep. Does your score, and I feel like this is probably true for you, does your score reflect more what you thought of the film or what you actually think people thought of the film? It's actually what I thought people thought of the film. My my personal score is a little more harsh, actually. Okay, cool. So why don't you start us off? <laughs> Damn, okay. That's passing the baton. Um, it was fine. It was a fine movie. I think if you don't really think about it 
<laughs> I'm going through puberty. Uh, I think if you, <laughs> I think if you don't really, it's appropriate because of the movie. I think if you don't really think about it that much, it's uh, it's a perfectly adequate kind of popcorn movie. But like, honestly, it kind of felt like just like a Disney movie to me. And what I mean by a Disney movie, I mean like a Disney Channel movie. Um, and I I don't really vibe with that. Uh, and I kind of have the same feeling about the first one. Um, I don't want to go into spoilers, but like, there's things in the movie that really kind of irked me. Um, I think Tom Holland is really endearing, though. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is really charming in this movie. Uh, the fight scenes were fantastic, though. Um, without going into any spoilers, obviously, there. Um... So I, all in all, I I, I think I like my Spider-Man movie to be a little more heavy-hearted. And I find these movies to be kind of whimsical. And I feel like I'm being deprived of a little bit of a mopey Peter. (laughs) Um, But that's not a complete knock against the movie. Um, it's, It's fine. I think it's... I think it's, you know, probably bottom half MCU movies or whatever. Um, I I will say that this is the second Spider-Man movie, though, where we got a very interesting antagonist. And in terms of antagonist ranks uh, in the top five MCU movies in that regard. So I'll definitely give it that. What about you, Pete? Uh, I, I love the movie, which I you know should come as no surprise. Like I'm a big Spider-Man fan, and I think similar to my um, my review of Homecoming, like I I I think that the MCU gets a lot of things right about Spider-Man, especially Spider-Man at this age um, that haven't been done before on the big screen. You know, uh, I I really do like the original two Sam Raimi movies, um, but they do show a more, you know, he's in college or he's an adult. He's mopey. He's struggling to have a job. Like he, he's in a different place in his life than the MCU's Peter. You know, and the, I think the MCU's Peter is a little bit closer to Ultimate Spider-Man, which is you know a, a run that I really love and is close to my heart. Um, so like I, I, for me, these movies get a lot right. You know, and I think like I also love mopey adult peter but like there are two movies like that that i already enjoy so like i i like the direction that they've taken peter in the mcu um for the most part and i think that to me the biggest strength of far from home is that all of the things that i didn't like about homecoming that i overlooked because of all the things that i really did like about homecoming i think this movie addresses a lot of them uh there's a lot of things that really i think kind of fall flat in terms of in retrospect about homecoming seeing them better executed in far from home um so i actually feel like in a lot of ways like i was so high on homecoming because of the things it did right but for this movie i think it actually makes me think less of that movie because it does those things even better plus a lot of new stuff uh i agree that i think the action was really really good I think there are a few there are a few set pieces that are super memorable to me, and I think that a lot of action in superhero movies and can easily feel generic. 
And I think they did a good job of making each segment, each fight sequence is different and has a different thing that's memorable about it. Or and we'll get into this in the spoilers, but the set pieces all feel unique and worth doing. And it, it kind of reminds me of like uh, almost like Uncharted, actually, the video game series where it's like the action is some of the, the most memorable parts. And that's rarely the case in these movies, you know, at least for me. You know, because there's the house style and it gets a little generic. Um, and I think they managed to freshen it up in a lot of ways in here uh, that are really cool. Um, and I also think that Mysterio was super, super well realized. And it's a it's a different Mysterio than the one we're, we're used to in 616 in some ways. But in, I think it, it did a good job of blending parts of 616 Mysterio and parts of Ultimate Mysterio into that that blends both both elements of both of the versions of Mysterio into a character that like feels representative of the whole and him at his best in both capacities, in, in, at least in some ways, uh, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into more in the spoilers. But again, I think Jake Gyllenhaal does a great job. I don't think I can talk much more about this movie without, <laughs> without, over, without spilling out uh, the things I want to talk about. So, uh, across the board, I really like it. I don't. I don't think it's uh, it's perfect necessarily, but it's like it's the Spider-Man movie that I want right now. If you're listening, that was funny because Pete twice said something that was a massive spoiler, and uh, that Sean will have yeah. to cut out. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll put it as the post-credit scene. <laughs> maybe we won't. So, uh, yeah, for me, I I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Typically, I like the sequel better than the first. Uh, I would say that's true for me almost always. And in the MCU, the only times that hasn't been true have been Thor 2, Iron Man 2, and uh, Guardians 2. But uh, all the other sequels I've been way higher on than the first. And that's certainly true here. I think that uh, Far From Home does a phenomenal job of picking us up not only from where Homecoming left the character, but also from where he was left off in Endgame. And I really love the way that they were able to address that, to address Endgame, but not make that the only point of the movie, and also make it so that the movie is also fun. Um, you could have easily had a much different movie tonally, but they were able to strike a good balance and um, I think that was super important. I think that uh, Mysterio was a great character. I had a lot of uh, questions about the way that things would play out with him. And I think I think they did a great job. And I think that it's probably the best possible take on a character who was created at a very different time than now. Um I think all the acting was really strong. I really love the play between the principal young characters, uh, both the old ones and the new ones. I loved the addition. I don't think this is a, any kind of big spoiler to say uh, Betty Brant, uh, her being in the movie. I really loved her, her character, and what, you know, sort of how she attaches herself and makes herself relevant to the rest of the cast. Uh, I think Zendaya did a great job. Um, Pretty much, I would yeah, say across yeah. the board, I was happy with with um, 
every everything that the actors did. I did think it was perfect. I do have some issues with the movie. We'll talk about though. I can't I can't address them now. Um, but right. uh, on the whole, I think that oh oh my god, the action. This movie has one of my favorite action sequences of all time. Yep. It's very good. I know which one you're yeah. talking about, too. It, it, yeah, very good. So, I feel comfortable leaving it there as far as uh, spoiler-free. If you guys want to just give your, your rating so we can send the people home who, who can't continue to I, listen. I, I'd give it, like, it's a solid nine nine five range. You know, like, you know, like it, it's good. It's very good. I wouldn't say it's perfect. A 995 is, like, excellent. Yeah, but, like... That's an A! I, I, yeah, I'm giving it an A. Okay. But I'm saying it's it's not it's not perfect. You know, for me, like I'm I'm a big Spider Man fan and I like what they did in this movie, you know? So like for me, this is among the top tier. Like if mm. if there's any I don't watch most MCU movies like more than once, right? I will watch this movie more than once. You know? So for me this is like it's up there. Um so yeah, I I'd, I'd give it like a solid A. I, you know, I don't think it's perfect. I have some uh some significant like just like I guess I would say like execution issues. Um, but on the whole, I walked out of the movie feeling really, really positive and I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's well worth your time. You know, I think it's definitely going to be my favorite movie of the summer. I really grossly misinterpreted your tone, I guess, because you were like, it was all right. You know, movie fucks for sure. But yeah, it was fine. <laughs> Phil, did you give yours? Um, I would say it's like a seven, seven out of ten. All right. I I would like to give it something less than a nine, but not less than an eight five. But we don't do those, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a nine. I had a blast. This is close to a like slice of life Spider Man movie as we'll probably ever get in life, and yep. that's cool. It's cooler than I thought it is. And um, I think there's a lot to love. So if you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. Come back to us. You can listen to our our, our spoiler-filled thoughts. Um, But if you have seen the movie, stick around because we're going to talk a lot about Spider-Man Far From Home starting right now. Spoilers! So the easiest way to to kick this off is how the movie deals with the post-Endgame world. That was, for me, that was like my biggest question coming into this movie was how are they going to address... The fact that the snap happened and that there are several people that are aged out of school um, and that there are heroes that are dead. Obviously, Iron Man's death impacts Spider-Man tremendously, um, and that's a that's a constant theme throughout the movie. Um, but I sure. thought they handled the opening of it real cleverly uh, by making a joke and, and playing with, you know, what took place. Yeah, I agree because for me that that worked well because it sets the stage, right? Like it answers a lot of the questions that you have right away of like what is the aftermath of the events of of you know Endgame and like how how are like how is the world reacting to it, right? And then the broader you know conversation of how it affects Peter is something that is threaded throughout the narrative, you know, which I think is appropriate. Um so yeah, I I thought it was like a clever way to to just get us set up and let us just move forward with the plot. Super weird implications. Um, 
So you have one character, Flash Thompson, who's in the body of a 21-year-old in the same school as a bunch of like 16-year-olds, which was... No, 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 that's not what it said. Yeah, right, he's five years older or whatever. No, he's not five. Because the whole thing in the, in, the, in the airplane is he may be like legally allowed to drink, but he's technically 16. Because he's... Because Flash Thompson, the individual human... His age, given that he didn't die, five years passed. So he's oh yeah. I, the guy looked a lot older, so it was, I guess that was a little yeah yeah no. But but that's that was the implication is that like if you were to give your ID to someone, it says that you're twenty one yeah. or whatever. You oh, know, because oh, it's oh. been five years. Okay, but okay. he's actually sixteen. Oh, okay, so the opposite side of that is Brad is a twelve year old in the body of a seventeen year old or whatever. No, he's a no, seventeen no, year again, old. Yeah, you're missing the whole thing. They were blipped. So uh, okay. during during the events of you know Infinity War when 50% of the population disappeared Peter uh MJ uh Ned no you're Ned, fine Betty Flash all those people I, I, I got you it's fine gotcha all right no um I I thought that yeah okay that that's fine whatever uh, they, they explained it it was fine <laughs> it was chill I thought that that was uh a smart way of introducing new cast members to the movie without, um, cause a lot of times like, it'll just be like, Oh, this person was always here, but we never noticed them for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, like this right. actually kind of circumvented that issue. And I thought it was well done. I was kind of surprised they didn't introduce Harry that way. Yeah. I, that's a can of worms. I, I agree with that, but like, you could have just had him be like, Oh yeah, it's Harry Osborne. And like, don't even like get into anything with it. Until like maybe the next movie, but if they don't want to go that direction, is 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 there a weird licensing with some of the Spider-Man characters in the MCU the, the, with Sony? The deal between Sony and uh, Marvel for Spider-Man is so fascinating and so uh, it's a it's a web of nice. uh, misunderstanding on our part and complication. We did an episode where we talked a lot about that. I don't remember which one it was, but the easiest way for me to answer that is we do not know. The only thing we do know gotcha. is that, um, because I, re- I recall this specifically, uh, Sony wanted to make a Mysterio movie. And then they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because John Watts had a Mysterio idea and Sony was willing to let him roll that out instead of making the movie. Gotcha. It's cool they're, like, playing ball. Yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll see how long um, it lasts. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Sean. I thought that was a good way to introduce like a, a new characters and like have it feel organic. Where it's like, okay, like they're on a field trip, so like it makes sense for them to interact with kids they haven't before too. Yeah, you know. So like, like you said, like I felt like Betty slotted in really well. Yeah, she was she was a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, anytime that a character appears who's named. In the sense that, like, they're from the comics, uh, the the purist in me will always have a reaction. You know, like I'll, I'll always go, ah, but it's not Betty Brandt, You know, um, right? She was handled so well as a character, all her own, that I stopped thinking about that, and that's the best. Yeah, thing she I was can just say. fun. Do you feel that She's... way about Zendaya and no. MJ? And we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I really liked Betty's addition to the cast, and I thought that the... I, I thought they got a lot of mileage out of her oh, and Ned. Oh, yeah, dude. And that... 
I think that could have fell really flat. Um, but, but it got a lot of laughs out of me and like, in my, yep. my theater, you know, um, to, to me, that relationship definitely landed. Um, especially because like, it, it was fun because like they leaned into it and there was a lot of genuine humor. And then when it was kind of like cringy, there would always be a character there to represent the audience being like, what the fuck? And like, that was funny, you know? So like, I, I, I thought that that whole bit really helped ground the Peter story, you know, like having all of his cast of characters have stuff yeah. going on that we're interested in and, or, or Peter's interested. Yeah. It was uh clever. Uh, you don't see something like this very often in the MCU movies, but the way that Peter and happy are able to relocate his classmates is through flash Thompson's like Snapchat stories. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, which at first you just think like, Oh, this is like an annoying teenager thing, but it's like a plot point. Right, and I thought, I, again, you know, this is the, f- you, you said it, this is not typical, and I love how the Spider-Man movies so far have been able to make it feel like Spider-Man and his cast of characters are really kids that exist in our time, and that the things that right. matter to them matter in that world, and that was just another example of like, hey, this is dumb as hell. Right, that he's doing this, but it's actually going to help out, you know. Yeah, it's got a purpose. Yeah, exactly. It served a purpose. Yeah, it, it just feels like good yep. writing. Like it's plotted well, you know. And you're just like, oh, right. Like this, this makes it like this is a thing that could happen in the real in in this world, right? Like a fucking yeah. course. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Flash, I hated Flash in the first movie. Uh, he, I liked him a lot more. In this one. I felt like he was so one note in Homecoming, you know, and like it didn't land for me. But yeah, I totally agree. Like I thought they got a lot of good mileage out of him as a character. And like the whole the whole like thing on the bus too with like the glasses, like that cracked me up, you know? Where he's like, No, like I'm paying you a genuine compliment and then he just like accidentally knocks him the fuck out. And that one girl's like, Did you just punch (laughs) Flash in the face? No. And 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 that's (laughs) such a classic comic moment too, um, where Flash in the comics is this big bully, right? And, you know, Spider Man can knock him out, but he has to not do that. And then like on occasion, you know, he might slip and not realize and then and then actually take him out. Um, and then it's like, oh, did you just, how did you do that? You know, and he has to cover up. It <laughs> yeah. was a little bit of a nod, but they didn't go too far with it. I kind of like And they, um, with some like kind of clever subtext made him a little sympathetic, uh, because of the end yeah. of the movie when he's picked up, it's like, oh wait, mom couldn't come pick me up. Yeah. And actually, uh, I noticed that earlier too, like right. when there was the, um, the text messages, they were like, he was reading everyone's or whatever. One of the times they were displaying them and it was like him, like trying to text his mom and she's like not responding and not paying attention to him and and again like it feeds into the whole thing of oh right maybe that's why he's seeking attention on social media maybe that's why he picks on peter right like and it just speaks to them thinking about his character in a deeper way than him just being just some background character who like you know like makes fun of peter right exactly and the depth of the supporting cast in a movie where we already know who the character is, is so important. In the first movie, you get away with maybe there being less depth because you know you have to spend X amount of time establishing Peter. Even after he had already appeared in Civil War, you still got to do it. So 
Um, this time around, they don't have to do that. So we get to see these characters grow and evolve. Super important. That brings me to uh, Mary Jane. And sure. Is she Mary Jane or is she just MJ? She's, like, isn't that a big thing from the first one? Okay, she's, she's MJ. Jane. She's MJ, but she's her character. What's her character's name? It's not. It's not actually Mary Jane. Right. That's why I was asking. It's I'm Michelle not trying to Jones. Be her character's name is Michelle Jones. Yeah. But she's MJ. Right, right. Yeah. She's the stand-in for that character. Right. Yeah. Like, they're not gonna... It's so annoying. They, they, they're they playing coy. They're not gonna introduce Mary Jane, right? They're not gonna have two MJs. Yeah. No, I know. I, so. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be semantic. No, 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 no. No, no. Yeah. no I'm not saying you. I'm saying them. Because Kevin Feige came out and said that's not MJ. In, in, yeah, when right. the first like, movie came out. Right. I remember that, yeah. Um... But like, right? We so yeah. So <laughs> regarding her, I really liked how her character—not how, how she evolved, but how we saw more of her. Um, yeah, I, I liked I liked her interactions with Peter a lot. They very much felt authentic um, in terms of how a nerdy kid like Peter would try to handle um, a girl he likes, and her approach to him also felt very genuine. And sincere, and it reminds you, uh, in a lot of ways, this is not the Mary Jane that you know in any way, really. Um, she's not soup, this super confident bombshell woman who's going to blow over, you know, anyone. You know, she has her reservations yeah. about herself and her life and things like that that are that are present. And um, yeah, she's she's definitely a little closer to the ultimate Mary. Jane, yeah, so, you know? so, so that that's that's not fair. To, I mean, the comics Mary Jane has a ton of reservations and shit. Yes, like that. she has a lot of that. But we're talking about a character when you know that about Mary Jane in the comics, she's already like getting older. Up, like, yeah, there, and she's yeah. already been in the book for many, many, many well, issues. Sean's Sean, Sean talking about Mary Jane in her 20s, like, yeah. in, like, the early college stories where she's, like, you know, the life of the party, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, but even back in those stories, they would have moments where it's like, wow, Mary Jane's so fun and cool, and then she'd be like, boy, it's exhausting trying to maintain this facade because I'm unhappy. Well, sure. That's fair. Okay. All I'm trying to say is that in the comics, Mary Jane is a supermodel actress who is the life of the party. And is the funnest thing on two legs. And that's what you see. And this character is not any of that. Uh, And that makes her presently more vulnerable uh, than Mary Jane at the same time in the books. And in in terms of how long we've been with them. So, this character... Phil, you asked me earlier, how do I feel about this character... Um, and am I accepting of her? And the answer is no. I'm not. I don't accept her because it's fine for me if you change Flash because Flash is whatever, right? Like I'm sure someone loves Flash deeply. Okay, fine. But in general, the grand scheme of things, he's a backstage character. Um, right. Betty Brant. I guess like so, sorry. I guess the people that have read Venom, like his Venom book, might be yeah, mad. Or I read it. I thought that was awesome. Um, but. You can still get there with this character because he's still a bully and he could he could still go to the military. You know, there's nothing. He still, yeah, he still identifies with like right. Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, kept, there's already the ground laid for them to become yeah, friends. The only thing he hasn't been is a physical 
uh, aggressor, aggressor. Right. but otherwise he's the same character. Betty Brant, you know, they changed her up, but she's still like into doing a reporter, right? She's just, you know, right, yeah. um, with MJ, she's fundamentally different. There are, I wouldn't even say there are really echoes of the Mary Jane from the comics in this one. Not, not majorly. Um, I feel like they really, really went a different direction with her. And I'm a purist, as I said earlier. I really want to see the characters represented the way I know them from the comics. That's important to me. And so even though I like this version of Mary Jane in the sense that she, you know, Zendaya is doing a great job and it works on screen and all that, I will always want what it what it is in the books for for me i it doesn't bother me as much because like i said like ultimate spider-man is such a formative book for me um and my relationship to spider-man as much as i love a lot of the classic 616 stuff uh particularly when peter and mary jane are married um i i also like ultimate mary jane and she's not that character she's way more like the kind of quiet girl next door and she's really pretty and everything but like she's kind of a nerd too you know and like you know yeah like she might get attention from popular guys because she's pretty she's not like miss life of the party necessarily you know and like i think zendaya is a little bit closer to that you know and um i don't have a problem with that because as much as like to me it's just like i i'm i like multiple versions of mary jane so to me this just feels like another one you know and like I, I get your position, but it's one that doesn't bother me simply because this one works for me, too. You know, in the way that you're saying, like, yeah, like, I like her performance, and they have good chemistry. And to me, that's more important for for where I'm at with it. Because there's a lot of things that are different and that are not necessarily true to this version of Spider-Man that I like or this version of Spider-Man that I like. But I'm down for a new version that's doing something else, but that's capturing the spirit of what I like about spider-man in general you know so it's kind of like it, it, it works for me like it, it it just feels like another new take what about you phil fine i don't have any real strong feelings about her right Figure. um i don't think i don't think she has i i didn't think her and peter had a ton of chemistry on the screen um personally uh i thought it was a little heatless kind of um the, the the heat is more toward peter's anxiety of liking someone in high school, which everyone can kind of relate to. Um, but the actual kind of chemistry, I, I, I didn't really feel it. Uh, felt kind of like there for plot sake, which obviously it's a movie. That's how movies work. But, uh, it it was, it was fine. You know, I I didn't, I didn't bother me. It didn't take me away from the movie. It was like, okay. I, I really liked their moment on the, the bridge. You know, I think, like, that whole um, sequence of, like, her kind of, like, half-jokingly calling him out on being Spider-Man, and then, like, then him actually just being like, okay, fuck, never mind, like, I am, and, like, I have to go deal with something. Um, That whole bit, I really, really liked. You know, I thought that was one of the more effective interpersonal moments, and that's when their chemistry really, like, clicked for me, you know? That actually represents one of the problems that I had with this movie, and it's a problem that I have with Spider-Man in movies. He just doesn't protect his identity. He he just he just doesn't like he. There's a yes. moment. Okay. There's a moment where he's getting undressed with Zendaya in the room, or I'm sorry, with MJ in the room, and she knows who he is, and that's fine. But the door 
is open. Ned comes in. Ned comes in. The door's open. I know. And no one cares. Yeah. That's unbelievable to me. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, like, his identity has been such a fundamental aspect of, like, the character for 80 years and protecting it. And it's, like, a big source of guilt because this whole thing is, like, I don't want... You know, it's a whole Uncle Ben thing, which is another issue I have with these movies where it's just there is no Uncle Ben. And it drives me insane because it's, like, yeah. is the is the linchpin to this entire character's personality. Um, his whole thing is, I don't want people to know because I don't want them to get hurt. And... What happens when he's just careless with it? All his friends' lives are in jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's that's fair. Um, but again, I think it's a thing that, like, like that is a thing that happens in Ultimate Spider-Man, and it's different than the norm, but it's like, that's a thing where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't mind if, like, one or two of his friends knows and, you know. And they figured it out. That's okay, but I'm talking about carelessness. Like he's careless with his identity. I'm I'm with you on the door thing. That to me is just like a what the f- like. Why don't that just doesn't make sense? Well, that feels like a an error in judgment from like a directorial standpoint of just being like the fuck I, is going I, on I, right now. I don't think so because I think it is more kind of synonymous with the whole Tom Holland Spider Man thing because like there's a whole scene that we can talk about now because it's like the best part of the movie where he is Mysterio knows who he is and he knows that he knows that the whole thing is, you know, uh, a ruse. And so Mysterio, you know, begrudgingly resolves that he's got to kill Peter Parker. And at one point he says, you're too trusting because that's his whole thing is that he's just trusting of everything. Yeah. He's naive. It's central to this whole Tom Holland thing. So I don't think it's a oversight. I think it's central to what this Spider-Man's whole deal is. And and that Fair enough. part, and that was something that I was going to bring up, is something that could equate to that being a deliberate storytelling choice because he's learning lessons, right? So this movie is about identity, right? Um, and it's yeah. about secrets and lies. And... And perception. And, and perception. All those kinds of things are, are all in the mix, right? And so for for Peter, um, he's kind of like, I, I, it's not that I don't want to be Spider-Man. It's just that I want to break from being Spider-Man. You know, I want to not right. have to worry about any of this kind of stuff. And when he lets his guard down in that way these things start to happen that aren't so great. When he's too trusting, bad things start to occur, and that's the way that Mysterio works his way in. If Spider-Man's another hero, or if Spider-Man's 21 instead of 16 or 17, Mysterio might not work. He works right now. And I think that's the yeah. way you choose villains, especially for a character who's who's growing. You know, Superman as a as a character on screen is more or less probably going to stay the same character for the most part. Like he's he's yeah. already going to be an adult. He's already going to be having his identity because his identity comes from his parents, right? Well, we we talked about this last week uh, where the character like Superman is kind of like a static protagonist. He has his core set of truths and his worldview is correct for right. him and so he doesn't need to grow like that um 
and what is interesting for stories like that is how characters interact and grow around him or or not like the opposite of grow where they you know regress uh spider-man is clearly a character who is a progressing character who believes like certain lies or doesn't believe in himself and he's still coming into his own yeah well i think the nature of the fact that like spider-man's origin story is rooted in him getting his powers as he's coming of age is why that's the case he's a character that has to grow and change and learn and make mistakes and you know like fall down so he can stand up right i really love it's a very comic book thing and it's just it's good fiction to have characters antagonists that are like symbolic of what the character is growing like what the character is experiencing and for for mysterio it's mysterio is a master of lies and and illusions and it's like it's like the disillusions that pete has to grow out of to become a a more mature person so speaking to mysterio this this arc that they went with for mysterio I I really don't know that I've ever been more pleased with anything that's happened in in one of the like single hero movies than the moment where Peter leaves the bar and he's given Mysterio the glasses and you see the illusion start to fall Holy and shit, you realize yeah. oh man it's all a lie I was waiting for it, man. I was waiting for it. And that, right, we all know, right, us fans. I went with people that, like, I went with my my friend Sam who had no idea. And I remember talking to her afterwards and she was like, what the fuck? Like, that was crazy. My girlfriend had the same reaction. She she thought the movie was very pedestrian and a little bit boring until Uh she saw that happen. And And then you're like, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So... He was so charismatic once that scene broke down. And it was such a clever means of exposition of explaining this is what's happening by making it a speech. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, speech, speech. And he thanks each person. Very clever way of explaining the character's motivation. And they nestled not only his origin, but the origin of his whole team into tony stark in a lot of ways because they all right like a lot of uh, them have a role at, at stark industries and were angry for some reason with tony and yeah i feel like you know this is my argument that tony stark is is the uncle ben of these movies i hate that sure. so much it's so fucking shit i'm not gonna argue with that but this gives peter a villain to fight who has ties to his uncle ben um, and that's really awesome. And I also love the idea, and this is so brilliant and genius, that Mysterio is almost like Batman. That when you make a Batman movie, right, you're trying to make everyone believe that Batman's real. But Batman, maybe he's just the one guy in the costume, like Christian Bale playing him, but there's so many people behind him who make you believe that Batman's real. And so Mysterio is the actor and director in a traveling movie. And he has a whole team with him that make this movie wherever they go. That's so smart. And I thought it was so cool. I thought it was such a great evolution of the character. You know, because like we talked about Mysterio in our our book club episode. And I think he's a character who's primed for this kind of reinvention. 
because he's not that well defined. And like his like at the end of the day, like OG six one six Mysterio basically boils down to like, like you know, he's like a goofy yeah. weird. I think you of know, him in the magician. PlayStation Two game. Yeah, yeah, but like exactly, like that is Mysterio, you know. And like I think that the ultimate version of him is such a like he's a legit scary motherfucker, and like this is somewhere in between those two things where it's like. He would be the kind of guy that if Peter had just fucked off, like, he would have left him alone. Yeah. You know? He's not malicious and evil. He's just kind of, like, conniving and, like, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, I, I-, I loved this interpretation of him because it felt like such a cool evolution of the special effects movie background with a more serious supervillain angle. Oh, he, he, and that worked really fucking well. He he's yeah, he's incredible. Peter is desperate for a father figure, and Mysterio is a very comforting. Uh, Qu- Quentin is a very comforting, super heroic. He's a he's got that basic superheroic archetype, and he's got the tragic backstory uh, because he's got a very he's got a writer for him, and his like the things he says, all very very clever, and it's it's like a. It's like an allegory for uh, one of these movies, almost, because it's just a giant walking production. Well, just how well they played that moment where he puts on the glasses, and, you know, he, like, looks like Tony, and, like, you can see Peter having that moment. Like, they they played that whole relationship very yeah. well. And I think it's great because it's not... You're, you're right, Sean, that he has skin in the game relating to his relationship with Tony, but then he also ends up having skin in the game because... He trusts him and betrays him, you know, and like and takes advantage of of Peter's heart, you know, and his, and his weakness, which is that he cares about people. Yeah. You know, and that like that makes him vulnerable in a way that the people that he fights generally aren't. So that takes us into really what I was referencing as one of my favorite fight scenes of all time. Oh, so. Probably the best fight scene in any MCU movie. It's very possible. We're talking about a moment in which now Mysterio's aware that Spider-Man, or that Peter knows what's going on, and he knows that he's going to try to tell Nick Fury what's going on, and Mysterio sets up one giant illusion that Spider-Man doesn't realize that he's in until it's too late. And... My big question coming into this movie is like, okay, cool, Mysterio's a guy, but how is he threatening? Especially based on what they showed in the trailers, where he's flying around shooting blasts. Spider-Man's going to deal with that. That's not a big deal. What Mysterio, what makes him dangerous, is the illusions. You don't know what's real or not. And that, again, right? We're talking about a movie about identity, about secrets and lies. And the villain's power is to show you a world that looks and feels and smells and tastes like real, but is not. And I think on top of that, he's a compelling villain for the same reason that, um, I, I guess not for the same reason, for or a different reason than a lot of the MCU villains end up being, right? There's a lot of, especially in the early movies where there's characters that just feel like you're smashing action figures together. And what I love about MCU's portrayal of Peter is that they really present him as being an intellectual and they play up like, the angle of him as like a genius and an inventor in his own right and Mysterio in in this interpretation is a very cerebral enemy he's not a a character who Peter has any trouble beating 
in a physical confrontation. When they finally gets to him, it's pretty easy for him to beat him. Yeah, it's the whole Lex Luthor thing where... Right. Yeah. And and I think with Spider-Man, that's particularly compelling because with Superman, it's very much a... It's brains versus brawn, and then you're like, but Superman's also smart, right? With Spider-Man, most of his villains, right, at least a lot of his A-tier villains, are people that he can't always beat in a physical confrontation, that he has to beat by outthinking them because he's smart. And in this, it's somebody that is older and is, like, you know, maybe not smarter than him, but at least as smart and is fucking five steps ahead of him. Yeah. For way too long. My mind was melting when I saw that he was in this illusion and the Iron Man that rises up. I mean, the visuals were so incredible. Just, I want to go see it again just to watch that sequence. I want to go see it in IMAX. I saw it in IMAX. That was my, that was my viewing. And it was crazy. It was unbelievable. It was imaginative. It was was really creative. It, 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 that was like a turning point in the yeah. movie, uh, creatively speaking, because it was the most, it was the most different thing I've seen in an MCU movie, visually speaking. Yeah, and then you think, all right, it's over. Nick Fury shot him, uh, you know, and even me, right? I'm like, wait, but but I mean, the movie's not even close to being over. There's no way he's dead right now. What's happening right now? And then. That's an illusion, too. And then you realize you don't know what's real and what's not. And then Spider-Man gets hit by a train. Sure does. (laughs) Oh, and I I love that whole imagery, like, of him crawling back into the train and, like, he wakes up in the prison with with these, like, Swedish guys. And then, like, they gave him a jersey and everything. He's in the Netherlands (laughs) and he can't pronounce the town he's in. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody's just like super friendly and like nobody comments on the fact that he's bloody and wearing a spider-man outfit like shit like that just like there's a lot of good moments like that i, I that was the thing i want to comment on too real quick just because it's a small point i really love the setting of this i love getting spider-man out of you know new york and even out of america and like getting to see like him in like this environment that you don't really see him in very often too you know like that was like a, a fun fresh angle to things i thought because like the fight scene with uh with hydra man you know where like he's basically just like doing damage control and stuff like that like those were fun moments too because they're different and they're fresh yeah i have a problem with the fact that we've seen spider-man now in uh three four five movies and he's only really been in new york for one of them yep yeah yeah i think that's fair that, that's kind of so this is I, I haven't really talked about the stuff that bothers me in this yeah. movie and a lot of what bothers me is kind of the central moral and like kind of the stuff we're supposed to take away so a lot of the, what the movie is about is perception yeah. and I, that reflects in the climax of the movie where Masiro gets a last laugh he has the entire world turn on Peter Parker by making the world think he's a monster or that's at least how it comes off and the big conflict that Peter has as a character is does he walk in the shoes of Iron Man like Nick Fury wants him to do or is he going to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? And it kind of makes you feel like as a viewer that he should feel guilty for not being a major superhero on the global scape. Like that that's kind of the perception is that Nick Fury... I don't agree with that. Well, let me finish my thoughts here you can you can you can rebuke them as much as you want just let me kind of wax what i'm feeling here um 
I feel like there's the whole scene where Mysterio uh, says to Peter, like, what do you want to do? Like, who's the man you want to be? But, like, he's the villain, and, like, it, the, the way it kind of points you is, like, the greater responsibility, Spider-Man needs to be a hero to everyone. And that's, like, the whole thing where he literally says, I love Led Zeppelin on the plane with Happy, and he's, like, more or less fulfilling this prophecy of being the new Iron Man. And so it's like, now who is Iron Man? Iron Man is the inspiration for both villains in these movies. He's the inspiration for the Vulture, who is a disgruntled contractor who was fucked over by Tony Stark. And while you, like he's a sympathetic antagonist because he is a working day guy who has a general grievance, it, the way the movie portrays that character is he went too far. Now, who is Mysterio? Mysterio is a former employee and developer for Tony Stark who's very much fucked over by him because his technology is literally named Barf. <laughs> and it's the sideline. So he has a general grievance, but much like Vulture, he's a character who, while sympathetic, is he goes too far and he's a villain. And it's like the whole movie's whole point is like, Tony Stark is like the greatest hero on the planet. There's visuals for him everywhere, even in Europe, when in reality, at the very least, he's a morally dubious, complex character that you don't necessarily want to follow in their footsteps because even as Happy points out, he was complicated and Tony wasn't able to follow in Tony's footsteps. But the whole movie is about perception. That's like the message. And I think the general message of perception that the audience walks away with is Spider-Man has to walk in the footsteps of a very flawed man uh, that is the inspiration for two major antagonists for in his life. And I don't know how that sits. So I, I'd like to respond to that because I, I, you're not wrong for taking that away, right? I don't believe that that's the implication that the film's making. Yeah, go for it. Because to me, I read that entire sequence, right? You're right that that's what the Mysterio scene sets up. Mysterio's the villain. Mysterio is setting that up. Uh, it's like, you know, you're right that it's saying that it's like, oh, well, he's saying that the right thing to do is to go be your own person. So the right thing to do is actually follow in Tony's footsteps. I don't agree with that because that's that scene. The, to me, the emotional turning point for Peter in the movie is his conversation with Happy. And Happy's entire conversation is calling out that underlying theme of perception. The perception of Tony Stark, of Iron Man, is that he's the best hero in the world. And there's these vigils because he sacrificed himself and all these things. But at best, he was a complicated guy. He was his best friend and he's even saying those things about him. So he's saying to Peter, don't put Tony on a pedestal. You don't need to be the next Iron Man. You're not going to be the next Iron Man. You're going to be Spider-Man. And yeah, he's using Tony's tech and wearing his glasses, and in some ways following in his footsteps. But Tony was, you know, a mentor to him. And whether or not you like the positioning of him uh, as Ben, which I, I don't, um, I, I don't have a problem with Tony and Peter having a somewhat, like, mentor-mentee relationship. Because Peter's 16, and Iron Man is, perceptionally, the greatest superhero in the world, the leader of the Avengers, all these things, right? And there's a reason that Peter looks up to him because they have a lot in common. And that doesn't make Tony a perfect guy, and I don't think he is. 
but I don't think we're supposed to think that he is. In this moment, in the big emotional turning point, Happy, his best friend, is sitting there telling Peter Parker, the POV character, that he's fucking not. And that was my takeaway. And and I, again, I, I don't think that the takeaway at the end of this movie is, look, Peter's following in Tony's footsteps. He's not. I think that the implication based on the post credit scene is the third movie in this trilogy is going to be probably the one of the most classic Spider-Man movies that we've seen. Peter's going to be a little older. He's going to be 17 or 18. He'll be close to graduating you know, high school. He's going to be dealing with all those issues. He's going to be public enemy number one in New York City. J. Jonah Jameson's going to be after his ass. He's going to be at odds with the cops. I think they're setting up the Spider-Man that you say you want. Where are you at, Sean? So... I I guess I I guess I land somewhere in the middle in that I have felt strongly that the movies Spider-Man Peter Parker the character wants to emulate Iron Man. Like he feels the burden of the pressure to do so and no one really is putting that on him but him because he was, you know, he came up under Tony and they had this this relationship and stuff like that. Kind of like his protege. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, he and was. certainly I Tony Stark made him yeah, an Avenger. I've certainly been bothered by um Spider Man's overuse of technology that he got from Tony, not leaning on technology yeah. he made himself. Those things absolutely bother me. And I'm also bothered by the world hero thing that you brought up, Phil. Like I I very much like the Spider Man who wants to focus on protecting home base. Spider Man yeah. is the hero of New York. Iron Man is the hero of the world. Um, And so, in this movie, that was definitely something that I was frustrated by, that they kept doing that, and they never grounded him back in New York the way I was hoping. However, the same way that I feel uh, bothered by the identity issue of Spider-Man not guarding his identity too well, this movie, you could argue, could be viewed as him learning not to be as trusting and to guard himself more. You could right. similarly make the argument that the next movie will tackle Spider-Man's – why he is crucial to New York and why this needs to be home base. They set up with the post credit scene that he's absolutely uh, – uh, gonna have a problem because now we all know who he is, um, and they might they might dodge that. There are many ways they could do it. They've done it in the books, um, but I feel like that setup means he's going to be in New York for the for the majority of this upcoming movie. It means that that Jameson is going to be his 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 primary antagonist from a. Not from a physical standpoint, but like he's the one who did this, right? Um, so that might be the lesson learned. You know, maybe this was the shedding of the Iron Man skin, if you will, and walking into himself. To me, that is the entire takeaway of the movie. Like when I walked out of it, I feel like the whole movie is about the passing of that torch, but not that Peter is the next Tony. It's that like he is now stepping out from under tony's shadow and being his own person and being his own super i just can't agree with that and there's a couple aspects to that one with regard to this third if there is a third spider-man movie which it certainly looks like there is uh we can't really gleam anything from it because we don't know anything outside of a you know two-minute mid-credit scene uh so it's really hard to take away what that movie's 
message is going to be and that's kind of where my whole prerogative comes from here where it's like the message is about perception and to our real life culture you know tony stark iron man is the linchpin central figure of this entire mcu you know he's the first it was the first you know mcu movie in 2008 and you know obviously his death was meant to have like a major emotional impact on the audience in endgame so i definitely feel like that peter parker didn't emerge as his own hero because the entire resolution of the film he's using tony's technology he gets back tony's glasses to wear because they were entrusted to him by his mentor and like i alluded to before the whole back and black thing like you know happy's like saying that here's tony's protege emerging and the whole time nick fury is making him feel like a piece of shit for not rising to the occasion he's saying like are you you know are you gonna fuck off or are you gonna you know be a hero here and his whole conflict is like well i gotta be a hero but that's he doesn't if, if this was like a daredevil thing and i don't want to make a false you know comparison daredevil would have been like fuck off i'm gonna go be the hero of new york where that's kind of spider-man's thing is that he's you know he's the hero of queens yeah but again like i think daredevil is, a, is an adult man like i think the whole thing is that peter's in the middle of an identity crisis and people are projecting it onto him because i think i don't remember which one of you said it but I think it was Sean said that like nobody is putting that on him yeah. to be the next Iron Man, but people are. Nick Fury is putting that on him. The general public of New York, where they're like, "What are you going to do when there's another Avengers level threat?" And he's his whole thing is that he just wants to be the hero of New York, but other people want him to be more than that. And again, I think the entire movie is not about him accepting that identity; it's about him rejecting it and going his own way. Like, yeah, he uses Tony's tech. He uses Tony's tech to build his own suit, though. That's the his modifications that has his ideas in it, you know? And I think, like, again, yeah, he's Tony Stark's mentee. And if you don't like that, then you're going to have a problem with that. That's the reality of how they've set him up in this universe. It is what it is, right? And and I don't like his positioning uh, in, in lieu of Uncle Ben, but I, I don't have a problem with him as Peter's mentor. Um, again, because I think the movie explicitly doesn't try to glorify him like the public does. But the character who knows him the best says that that's not how you should perceive him. And then, yeah, there is echoes of Tony in that moment. But, like, of course it is. It's his fucking plane and Happy's the one flying it and everything. And, again, I I think that it is because we're seeing a transition. Well, to wrap up this part of the conversation, I will say that uh, regardless of any of this, they do need to, with the next movie and Spider-Man's future appearances in the MCU, they need to steer him away from the same path. His next enemy cannot be another villain inspired in any way by Tony Stark. He can't have another excursion to some other place that's not New York. Um, He can't use more of Tony's technology. Like, the glasses, that was something that bothered me. I figured that they would be gone by the end of the movie, and the fact that they weren't, I was like, ah. Um, yeah, I feel the but, same way. But, yeah, I, I feel like no matter where you stand on this, he needs to divert from this path and do his own thing going forward. So I agree, and, and my, my opinion is that the stage has been set I agree with now. you. I see... I see the status quo in Spider-Man 3, whatever, back home, uh, will be 
New York is against Spider-Man. J. Jonah is leading the charge. One of the Sinister Six ends up being the physical guy that he gets Scorpion. to punch in the fucking face. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that makes the most sense with J. Jonah, and he's already been introduced in Homecoming, so I think Scorpion is a, a very likely candidate. Um, so there's that, and I think Peter will have a lab in May's garage or shed or what the fuck, a basement or whatever, where he you see all of his own tech that he's built himself and he's, you know, like got his own new status quo and he's doing his own thing. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, I, I, I can't judge the movie based off a movie that hasn't been made yet. Obviously I'm giving you obviously my perception of what this movie yeah. was. Uh, I, I certainly hope so. In, in general, just going forward, I, I hope the MCU movies steer away from really crutching on Captain America and Iron Man. Uh, it's okay for like Rhodey or like the Captain America related characters, but as a whole, I, I hope they kind of just push forward. I, I I don't know if that's a guarantee though. Yeah. So moving forward with this conversation, um, yeah. Spider Man ends up in a big, big conflict with uh, with Mysterio towards the end. Now all of his friends are in danger. Right and Mysterio is basically like, okay, I need to put on one last big show for the people to establish myself as you know a, a, a big time hero, and simultaneously kill Spider Man, his friends, and Nick Fury. Um, that's some serious big dick energy yeah, right that, there. That's a tall order. Oh, well, what do you guys think about the way the movie wrapped, like the big fight and all that, Chaz? Oh, I liked it. Um, I, I, in general, like, I, I think that this movie is a movie that is going to be better on rewatch because I think that I, I felt like the pacing in the beginning was a little bit slow, but that's because it's lulling you into that false sense of security for the Mysterio reveal. But I think once you have the reveal, like from then on, it's fucking off to the races. And I think I thought the big action moments like really fucking landed for me across the board. And I think in terms of where it lands, like, I, 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 because of my perception of the, the things that they've laid and the movie they've set up for what's next, I'm really happy with where we ended up, you know? The, uh, the final battle was all right. It was pretty good. It, it ranks in the top half of the MCU final conflicts, I'd say. Uh, it was nowhere near as good as that initial confrontation, for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely not. And... And I also really like the elemental battles from the perspective that I knew that it was all just a giant fucking right. ruse. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was waiting for to see how like this would unravel. So I, I was invested because of the implications behind it. Whereas the final battle, it becomes a more, more pedestrian classic kind of stakes where it's like Peter needs to stop this guy from killing his friends. That, that's like the, what it ultimately boils down yeah. to. Uh, which is fine. It wasn't a bad thing. Uh, and it visually was very unique, obviously. Uh, I am more in. I was more intrigued and in, in, into the whole unraveling of Quentin Beck, where it's like his illusions just completely unravel because of Spider-Man destroying multiple drones and and uh, the illusion discs or whatever. And the guy who programs them is like, "Well, shit, get the jig is up," and. He, Mysterio says people will believe what I tell them to believe. Just complete, like, just 
just not even just arrogance, but just confidence that he can do anything. Yeah. And honestly, he might like with because of the way the movie ends. He's right. He probably would. He he was he was his finger was so on the pulse of how media is able to reflect, change and and mold people's perceptions that he probably could have just continued to paint himself as a giant hero. I fucking love that message of the movie and like it's it's critique on the nature of truth and like deep fakes and stuff like that. I'm like that's fucking fascinating. Like I thought that was a great element to add to Mysterio's character because it plays so well into the illusion aspect of it. Right, and that's where the meta part gets frustrating for me because Marvel paints Tony Stark as like the hero of these movies when he he's really like a villain in a lot of ways. He's he's like a, he's a complicated hero obviously, but like the the giant industrial paramilitary guy who who funded uh, we've gone over it in past episodes, but it, like the whole thing with perception, and you have this very morally ambiguous war criminal as your yeah. But they deal with that. They they deal with that. Like Iron Man one is all about that. Two and three are also about that. And I would argue that he Avengers two with Ultron. Yeah. I know they internally deal with this stuff, and that's not taking away from the storytelling. But it, it, it's it's that tying in movie stuff with greater pop perception. You know what I mean? Because like to your everyday viewer, it's like, oh, Tony Stark's the hero. Yeah, but again, I I, I don't want to I don't yeah, want to bog it back down. Yeah, we don't yeah. need to get into. Um, we don't need to get down that. But you're right. I and I I, I, I like that with we obviously the mid credit scene, J. Jonah Jameson. Since we're talking about the holy whole, shit, can we talk about that? I'm so fucking right, happy right. that um that, that J.K. Simmons is back. Jesus. Uh. So. <laughs> So, uh, Sean, how do you feel about that final climax? <laughs> yeah, so um, we see we see J. Jonah Jameson on the big screen, you know, Spider-Man and, and Mary Jane right there on, uh, I keep saying Mary Jane, MJ. MJ. You want so it so dumb. bad. It's so, oh my <laughs> god. Just call her Mary Jane, like who the fuck is yes, it? Michelle it's, Jones. It's Michelle Jones. Anyways, uh, yeah, so we see, uh, Jay Jonah Jameson on the big screen, and it's actually J.K. Simmons. And by the way, did you guys realize that that was totally like an Alex Jones type setup? Yes. Yeah, it looks exactly like yeah. Alex Jones is. That's your guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's obviously in this version, he's obsessed with Spider Man, just the same. Uh, hates him, and um, he, he runs the, the Daily Bugle dot net. That dot net, yeah. I love that. That's such a subtle. <laughs> oh little, my god! Um, but he but he shows a video that reveals that Mysterio actually had like filmed something else where he makes it appear as though Spider Man had him murdered and then went on to have the drones kill X amount of other people, and he reveals Spider Man's identity as Peter Parker. Can I throw out a crazy theory for you guys? I don't know how crazy it is, right. but so they killed off Quentin, right? In the comics, there's been three Mysterios, I think. Uh, did you guys get the impression that the guy who made the tech was going to, like, become the next Mysterio? No. What he did was he, he took, he downloaded the video of what Mysterio was saying, and then he, he went and sent that out. Okay. And he's probably going to have a role in whatever the next antagonist is. Because he, he he has all the drones. 
I was kind of wondering if he was going to come back as Mysterio again in the future, and maybe it was him that actually put together that video. Because, mm. like, isn't it kind of weird that Quentin had a contingency plan for if Peter killed him? He probably did, honestly, though. I see. What I mean, you he could have, but don't, but don't, but you know what I mean. Like Phil was just making the point of he was a character who was projecting the confidence that there was no way he was going to lose. Sure. Why would he have a plan B for if he died? I, I honestly think it might be that guy. Or I, I, like I said, he's probably if they're doing like a Sinister Six thing, or there's going to be a Scorpion. His character is probably going to play in, you know, whatever the next antagonist is going to be in the same way he did here because. I don't know if they're going to get away from the Tony thing because, like, every single character that was there was a disgruntled former employee, and they've, like, very cleverly tied it together to previous, like, movies. Um, I feel like the next antagonist is probably going to have a thread to, like, some of those people. I would be surprised if Quentin Beck was dead. Oh. uh, Shit, that's something I had not considered. That could be true, too. Well, that's that's bad that Jake Gyllenhaal's down to do another one. Yeah. I'm sure he is. He seems like he's having a good time with it. Yeah, the press tour with him and Tom Holland. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's been like living it up. Like I feel like he's in. So so I yeah. Don't know. So immediately my thought my thoughts went to okay. So who's next, right? Um, J. Jonah Jameson is is uh, obviously a well known Spider Man hater, but he can't fight Spider Man. If he's going to be an active antagonist in the next movie, who do you associate with him? And obviously, the first choice is Scorpion. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. The problem is Scorpion is like a C-list level villain. Um, Some people might argue that Mysterio is that as well. I disagree. I feel like Mysterio was the last of the the, like upper tier but not top tier villains that they hadn't dealt with. I guess Black Cat, depending on how you perceive her. But Carnage... Venom. Well, Venom. Or not Venom, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like making Black Cat um, like a main antagonist is kind of dicey too, because like you know, I feel like it makes more sense for her to be like a a, a tertiary villain who yeah yeah flips yeah. I, I, has the yeah, face. I turn. was just trying to trying to establish yeah why Scorpion makes sense makes yeah. the most sense sure. Well, and he's already, he already exists, too, right? Well, like, fuck. Like, we know he is in the world. Well, the other top-tier character who's on that skirt is Kingpin, who could contract Scorpion or be responsible for that. And obviously with that character, there's all kinds of themes he could play with the development of Spider-Man as a person. I would love for them to introduce Vincent D'Onofrio as... Kingpin, that would be awesome, but I just don't know that's gonna probably happen. not gonna be Vincent D'Onofrio if they were to do that. But yeah, they should. I, I would, I would bet any amount of money that that would never happen. Um, but yeah, I think if 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 I had total control over who the next villain could be, um, I I feel like Kingpin makes the most like a combination of Kingpin, Scorpion, and Jameson. My heart will always be with yeah. Norman. I want Norman bad. But they're not doing it, so um, at least not anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man fucked that shit up so bad. Do I mean like my my like le- my legit hope is that the path like if in a perfect world the path forward for me would be next one's JJ Scorpion, we get a Kingpin Black Cat, and then Norman when Peter's in college. So in three movies, sure. <laughs> Which like we're not getting there, but. 
You know what I mean? Like, because that works, right? They introduce Harry as Peter's college roommate. There's Norman. Yeah. Um, Good work. That's not gonna. But, that's not gonna happen. Uh, no, it definitely won't. You, but I you, wish you could always go the route of more modern Spider-Man antagonist, like uh, Mr. Jackal. Negative. Oh, Mr. Negative. Mr. Well, well, that's where I was gonna go next. Was Mr. Negative? Keep all that shit off my t- off my movie screen, please. Mr. Negative's uh, both, fine, but there's but not got not not uh what's his name uh fucking why am I blanking already? I just said it. Jackal. If I see not Jackal, if I see Jackal or Mr. Negative on the big screen as a Spider-Man villain, before I ever see him fight Carnage, I will die. <laughs> Dude, I would love. There's so many characters I'd love to see. Like, I, I, I think I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, like in the Kingpin scenario I described. Kingpin, Black Cat's a side character. Kingpin hires the Enforcers, and we get the Shocker, you know, back. Oh, but that yeah, that guy already exists yeah. too. They had the second one they showed off. Yeah, so you could easily do that too. Like, there's they're already like laying a, a lot of the like B and C list people in the background, like. Come on, man! Like, let's get that. Let's get that sinister six. Yeah. Shit so I thought off. that the Dimitri character in this movie would end up being Chameleon, and uh, I felt as though they were going to lead to a sinister six thing. I would love Craven as well. I think actually, I'm going to yeah. change my thought. I think Craven is the most relevant villain that he hasn't faced. Left. That hasn't him and Carnage that haven't appeared. Um, yeah, that needs to happen. I think, but um, I guess I guess we should probably just talk about the other post credit scene now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we pretty much covered everything. Yeah. So yeah. this is probably the thing I like the least overall in the movie. Nick Fury and um, uh, Renee, Maria, Hill. R- Maria Hill are in a car. They both actually turn into scrolls, which is crazy as hell. That shit floored me, dude. And, but then they start having a, just a regular conversation, and it's revealed that they've been portraying those two the whole time. And Nick Fury is actually on a space base um, doing God knows what. We have no idea what, but he's with a bunch of scrolls. Um, and that's... So, seemingly the scrolls from... Yeah. Because that was the scroll from Captain Marvel. It was Marvel. Talos from Captain Marvel, 100%. Yeah. So right. it's ambiguous... There are lots of things that you can assume. I personally assume that this is a, a, a tease toward um, the next Captain Marvel movie. Now, sure. there, this was cleverly done. And I'm going to explain why I didn't like it in a moment. But this was cleverly done. I have to say, you could have figured out that Nick Fury was not Nick Fury if you paid very close attention during the movie. He seemed yeah. off. There's a moment where Spider-Man uh, is is saying, well, why don't you get another hero? And he brings up Captain Marvel. And Nick Fury says, don't invoke her name. That's not yep. a normal response. Uh, and then when him and Maria Hill are walking around, they very randomly mention how, oh, X person isn't supposed to know that there's Kree sleepers. Uh, that's also a thing why like you could you could argue Nick Fury could know that but he also just said he doesn't know anything so um there were definitely hints there and maybe there were more that I didn't catch those were the ones that I personally caught yeah yeah and I didn't clock those until afterwards you know and I was like oh fuck like they they laid that really well you know like I totally could have sussed that out but I just didn't pay attention to it um so how long has Nick Fury been there for uh my guess would be shortly after the funeral of uh, Tony. Yeah. So, but yeah, he does say when he meets Peter, 
that we didn't we obviously couldn't exchange cards at the funeral because that'd be inappropriate yeah so I don't know you know maybe he's been around a lot longer that's the thing with scrolls you like can't always pinpoint he you, so you, what are you saying he could have been a scroll the whole time maybe I'm not saying not the whole time but I'm not saying that's true but again maybe maybe further back than we think but that just throwing it I, out I'm there. aligned with Sean though I think it's he came back and then went to space I think that's the more conventional probability I'm just saying maybe Cap- okay so the reason why I believe you are incorrect is because Captain Marvel would know that information and the first thing she asks when she comes to Earth is where's Fury she wouldn't be okay. looking for him yeah you're right that's fair. That's true too. Um, so you're right. It could be a lead into a second Captain Marvel movie. It could also be a larger thread for what the Avengers are going to do going forward, which is maybe like a Kree Scroll War. Yeah. Or three. I this is what I think. I think this is probably a loose lead in to the Eternals movie. Explain that. Well, it's Nick Fury in space, presumably on like a scroll a uh, scroll ship, maybe. Yeah. Right? Uh, Seems that way, right? And we know there's an Eternals movie coming out, and presumably that's the next movie, or the, there's two movies away. Because uh, Black Widow might be next. It's not exactly clear. Uh, or Guardians 3. Either way, it's the next new thing on the horizon. Uh, and their whole thing is being rooted in space. It's more cosmic stuff. Uh and maybe in this reimagining, they have some kind of tie-in with the Kree or the Scroll. Maybe the Eternals play the role of the Inhumans, who were genetically modified humans created by the Kree. Like, maybe they're going to mix and match that kind of origin, because most people don't know who the uh, Eternals are in the same way people didn't know who the Guardians were. Your guess is as good as mine. This is kind of where my head went, though, because that seems like the closest thing on the docket that would relate to that. My problem with this post credit scene was that it again and this is something that really bothers me about the MCU it's my biggest issue they don't take things very seriously in general and the scroll the idea of a of a living person that we know and trust being a scroll to me is a big deal and the fact that it was a joke really bothers me because if Nick Fury hasn't always been a Skrull, then it doesn't matter. It really, it, it, the fact that he was just a Skrull in this movie has no relevance to anything at all. You could just as easily say that Nick Fury went to space after this movie ended and it doesn't change anything. Because him being a Skrull doesn't impact the story. And does it impact the story going forward? It's too early to say, but probably yeah. not. It's, it's probably not a big deal that Talos is on Earth as, as Nick Fury. So that... You're, you're, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying that it doesn't impact this story. I think the point of it is the reveal, which is supposed to be like the woe, and the to have this conversation of what are the implications of that. How long has Fury been in space? How long have the Skrull been here? Has it been since the 90s? Like, how many Skrull are on Earth? Like, those are all questions that spin out of that moment. Um, so I, I get what you mean, but the reveal still had a pop for me. Cause I was like, Oh fuck. Like it is played as a joke, but it wasn't a joke for me because I'm excited to think through what the ramifications of that are. But like, I, but I, I agree with, I, I, you're right to say that 
they undercut serious moments for humor too often, and that, I think that is. But you think it through, and then it's like, okay, I already, I already told you that it's unlikely he's been gone for long because that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, right. So if he hasn't been gone for that long, he's up there for a secret mission, which is fine, and he needed a replacement on Earth to keep things going. Makes perfect sense. But the problem is that now you can't do that reveal again. You can't, you can't have that kind of moment happen another time and have it matter because they already did it, and when they did it, it was a joke. And it won't have, it won't have yeah. the heat that it did this time because it's not the first time it happened. I, I see what you're saying. That that makes sense. And I think that's similar to the criticism of, like, it sucks that Captain Marvel meets the Avengers in a post-credit scene. Oh, that, that's not, that, that did end up being awful. So that's, that's, that's a similar... I think that's a fair criticism. Uh... I think the overall purpose of that was just an oh shit reaction from the audience. Like, oh shit, what? Well, and to get all the think pieces going, right? Of what does this mean for right. for the next wave of movies? Like, yeah, it builds intrigue. What is Nick Fury up to? Yeah, and that and that's a question that obviously remains to be seen. And we're not going to get that answer for at least one year. Because there will be no more Marvel movies in the calendar year of 2019. The next time we will be doing a review for a movie based on the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not until Guardians 3. Or no, no, no. Thank God. No, no, no. I'm, I'm insane. It's not Guardians 3. It's um, or, is it Black Widow? Probably. Yeah. I think it, yeah, it was supposed to be Guardians 3. But then, right. But it's probably Black Widow or yeah, Eternals. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. God. We'll see you in 2020 for another one of these. Yeah. I'm so glad that we're just getting a break. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the break. I think it's going to be nice to get the breath of fresh air and come back for the next volume with, like, ideally some renewed vigor. Because um, I think that Spider-Man Far From Home is, like, a great epilogue. Yeah. To the to the ending that was Endgame. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, it's about the future. I think this was meant to be kind of treated in the same way Ant-Man and the Wasp was, kind of like a palate cleanser after a uh-huh. heavy film like Avengers Endgame or Infinity War. Yep, and I th- think so too. And I, I think it works and, for that. And, you know, you guys are saying this and it, 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 like, makes sense, but when you consider the fact that this wasn't supposed to be there, then you realize True. that... Yeah, I think it just feels yeah. that way. Yeah. You know? Um. So, that's gonna do it for our review of the movie. Let us know your thoughts on it. You can get to us um, on podcast hosting platforms. You can get to us at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. And of course, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Make sure if you've never listened to the show before and you like what we do, you go check out our other content. We have a weekly podcast. This week, we talked about The Walking Dead ending. Big deal. If you're a fan of the show, fan of the book, it's over now. So go listen to our conversation about that. It's these three guys. There are two other guys, but uh, they're, they're, you know, they're in space, um, you know, plotting our demise. Um, yeah, so we should get working on theirs. (laughs) I have a plan. Oh, all right. I'm glad I'm on your team. (laughs) So, uh, with that, we'll see you webheads later. You're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Spider-Man's got to fight the hippo next.